Welcome to another podcast for U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. Today we will be talking about Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone, a societal changing invention. As always, Gene and will be running point. Jeannie, take it away. All right, so let's get back into it. So today we're going to pick up where we left off last season, and we're going to continue on with a few more inventions that change the course of history. And today we are going to be talking about the telephone and Alexander Graham Bell. Alexander Graham Bell, who was known by his family as Alec, was born Alexander Bell. He added the Graham on his own at the age of 11. So there you go. And he was a smart Alec. He was a very smart Alec. The telephone wasn't his first invention. As a child, he and his brothers made a number of inventions. He was born in Scotland. He was the middle child, and his older and younger brother both died of tuberculosis at different times. Um, His younger brother died a few years before his older brother. He was educated by his father at home, and he attended school very briefly and only until about the age of 15. So imagine that somebody who is trying, his father was a very smart man. We'll talk a little bit about his father, but he has a, an education to the age of 15. For Alexander Graham Bell, he grew up with a love of speech and a love of sound. His father taught elocution and created what was known as visible speech in order to teach the hearing impaired to speak. Alexander Graham Bell's mother was practically deaf. Visible speech, for those of you who don't know what it is, is a written language that uses a series of phonetic symbols. And those symbols are in the shape that a person's tongue, throat, and lips need to be in in order to produce the desired sound. In fact, when he was younger, he taught his dog to speak by using his father's visible speech method. He was able to move the dog's mouth and tongue so that certain words could come out. I thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Alexander Graham Bell got involved in the family business. He and his parents and his older brother's widow moved to Canada after he too became sick with tuberculosis. The thought was that the weather and the clean air there would help to heal him. His stay in Canada was brief. He grabbed an opportunity to go and teach at schools for the deaf in Boston, Massachusetts. Education for the deaf was coming into its own at this time. Earlier on in history, individuals who were deaf were sometimes put into asylums. You have asylums that are institutions for what at the time were referred to for the deaf and dumb. Thank goodness we have come a long way since then. You have, Thomas, uh, you have Thomas Gallaudet and his son, Edward, and they taught manualism or sign language to their deaf students. Interesting tidbit about me is I know a bit of sign language. I am not you know, fluent, as they say, but I can certainly get my point across and understand somebody else. I took classes in college. They established a school which is known as Gallaudet University. Prior to that school, he established, this is Thomas Gallaudet, not Alexander Graham Bell. He established the American School for the Deaf, which also still exists today. The school, which was then known as the Hartford School for Deaf Mutes. In 1872, Edward Gallaudet 
invited Alexander Graham Bell to come to his school and to teach some of the students there so he could see visible speech and action. So you have to understand that visible speech and sign language were quite a bit at odds with each other. Alexander Graham Bell was incredibly well known in the deaf community, so much so that when a young girl who had become both blind and deaf from illness, it was Alexander Graham Bell that her parents took her to go and see. That woman is, of course, Helen Keller. While she didn't become one of his students, her parents brought her to school where she would meet the famed Anne Sullivan, who did become her teacher. I do want to take a minute or two and speak of one of his students, a woman by the name of Mabel Hubbard, who, like Helen Keller, lost her hearing at a young age due to illness. And I also want to say hearing loss due to illness at this time in history, very common. Thankfully, today, medicine has progressed and we don't suffer those same fates as people did back then. Mabel Hubbard studied with Alexander Graham Bell and he worked with her to improve her speech, eventually falling in love with a student who was years younger than he, but mind you, not when she was a young girl, but there was a big age difference. He wouldn't act on those feelings immediately. After all, he was very busy working on a few inventions. In addition to teaching, Alexander Graham Bell is also working hard at night on his inventions. He is hoping to create a telegraph that can send multiple messages at the same time. He has to work on his invention in total secrecy because he can't afford a patent. And there are other people more famous and more connected than he is. And by more famous, I'm talking you know, about people like Thomas Edison and Elijah Gray, who are trying to invent the very same thing. The telegraph used Morse code, which is a dot and dash system. Only one message could be sent at a time. If a telegraph line broke, the whole system went down. This was how you sent a message somewhere far. A letter would take too long. Telegrams are very popular. So Bell and others are trying to invent a multiple telegraph to improve upon the system that, al that already exists. He can't afford a patent to protect his ideas, so he works in secrecy. As fate would have it, that student that I mentioned earlier, Mabel, her father was a patent lawyer and was looking to break into the telegraph business. He helped to finance Bell's work and was instrumental in getting him his assistant, Mr. Watson, who helped him to build the pieces for his invention. Much to his soon-to-be father-in-law's disappointment, he was spending more time on his invention that would transmit sound. After all, he has loved sound since he was a boy. He called it the harmonic telegraph. It would be a trip to the nation's capital that would give Bell the push to divert his attention away from the telegraph and towards his other idea, the talking telegraph. By the summer of 1875, he had designed a prototype that he felt would work. And you have to understand that this is a very simple mechanism. There's a wooden frame. And on one side, you have this receiver, which had this very, very tightly stretched drum head. And at the center, there's this receiver reed that would receive the sound. Okay. It is, does not look like a telephone you would see today. After various tweaks and adjustments here and there, the telephone could transmit sound clearly. 
1876 to mark the centennial of the United States, a world exposition in Philadelphia was planned. As fate would have it again, Alexander Graham Bell's soon-to-be father-in-law was in charge of helping to set up some exhibits for the state of Massachusetts. He naturally had a spot for Bell and his inventions. Bell's work won not one, but two awards at the exhibition. His telephone beat out the work of both Elijah Gray and Thomas Edison. He had this great invention that worked, but it still wasn't ready to be sold and used by the masses yet. He goes on these great big speaking tours to make money and also build up excitement for the telephone that will eventually be ready for purchase. And at this point in history, speaking engagements or speeches in general are a form of entertainment. What could be more exciting than be able than being able to speak to somebody miles away? This was kind of like a circus sideshow in a way. This, that's how outrageous the thought of this was to people. Today, we take that for granted. But in 1876, you know, his invention made the audience ooh and ah. Once the patent had been awarded to Bell, the Bell Telephone Company was created by Gardiner Hubbard, Mabel Hubbard's father. It was a joint stock company originally created to hold Bell's patents. Then they created the International Bell Company, which sold telephones and switchboards throughout Europe. Then they wanted to create a network of long distance lines. The American Telephone and Telegraph Long Lines was then created. That company then became known as American Telephone and Telegraph Company. You may know of it by its more common name, AT&T. AT&T, that's right. Success and money did not come easily or quickly. It would take years for Bell to earn his money. And he had lawsuits he had to fight with companies like Western Union, attacks to his patents by people like Elijah Gray and Thomas Edison. He wins that lawsuit against Western Union and the worth of his company increases dramatically. How did the first telephones work? So Alexander Graham Bell's original original telephone was patented in 1876, and it worked by converting sound into an electrical signal via a liquid transmitter. This process centered around directing sound through a receiver and onto a, a very thin membrane that was stretched over a drum. After 30 minutes of use, the device had to be recharged for about 10 hours. This was not so great. Six years later, the first commercial telephone becomes available to the public. By the 1880s, more and more people are getting telephones. In 1877, President Rutherford B. Hayes had a telephone installed in the White House. Alexander Graham Bell installed it himself, and the phone number was one. Just one, the number one. How awesome is that? By 1892, someone in New York was able to call Chicago. By 1905, you start seeing phone booths and pay phones. Most people today would probably say, what's a pay phone? What's a phone booth? And by 1915, one could make a phone call all the way across the Atlantic. So in this very short amount of time, we're seeing incredible, incredible amounts of progress of how far communication could travel and how easy it was or how easy it was becoming. When you talk about how many telephones there were in the United States in 1900, 
you have 600,000 telephones. In 1905, you have 2.2 million. And by 1910, you have almost 6 million telephones. That is incredible. Now, in a previous podcast, we talked about monopolies. Alexander Graham Bell had a monopoly. As his company acquired more companies, Bell's company steadily built a monopoly over the industry using the process of vertical integration. The Bell Company, later known as AT&T, became known as Ma Bell. So there you go with the Beastie Boys. In the early 1900s, the federal government began investigating the company. So the federal government does begin investigating the company. The federal government took legal action against AT&T 12 different times. After AT&T acquired significant interests in Western Union and their refusal to connect independent companies to their long distance lines, it made it difficult for other companies to compete, especially if they couldn't offer long distance service. The federal government begins to look into the company and before they can really go after them, the vice president of the company at the time, a man by the name of Nathan Kingsbury, sends a letter after months of negotiations between the company and the federal government. And the vice president of the company agrees to divest the company of Western Union. He agrees to provide long distance service to some companies and that if the ICC objected, they would not acquire additional companies if they saw a problem. In return, the U.S. government wouldn't sue them. In the following decades, AT&T continued to grow, and from time to time, the federal government would go after them. But by the mid-1970s, the beginning of the end was coming for AT&T. It wouldn't be broken apart by the Justice Department until 1984, and by that time, it had grown into really one of the largest companies in the world. Hey, quick tidbit on that. It was determined that AT&T had a monopoly in three areas, phone service, phone equipment, and yellow pages. We did a podcast on monopolies that our listeners can refer to. In there, I mentioned Google as a firm that could be broken up in the future. If you look at Google, they have different aspects that they focus on, search, phones and applications, right? Android, Google Play. And then they have the email data storage business. They actually changed their name from Google to Alphabet because they do so much more than just you know Google itself. I would not be surprised if somewhere down the road they get broken up themselves. A lot of similarities, right? Yeah. Now, for the youth of today, we talked about the concept of long distance a little bit in the podcast. And that this might seem strange to people. I remember it being a very big deal to be on a long distance call, and it was much more expensive than a local call. Today, you pick up your phone, most likely your cell phone. Most people don't even have landlines anymore, but you pick up your phone and you can call just about anywhere at any time, a time not so long ago, I might add. I remember having to wait until after 7 p.m. to call someone on my cell phone in order for it to be free. Free minutes. At one point, you had a plan with minutes that you could use each month, nights and weekends free. free. evenings and weekends. Yeah. What a thrill. <laughs> what a thrill. What a time to be alive. The concept of needing a calling card if you were traveling in order to call home, that's a foreign idea to, to some people. Communication today has really become seamless. You can use a variety of apps and call anywhere you want to call. 
At one time, communication wasn't so seamless. So what were the phones, first phones like? Oh, wait, I can, hold on. I can throw in another one. Call and collect from a pay phone. Yes. I used to record. I used to record, you know, call mom when I went away. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, you have a collect call from, and then they would record your name. And I would say, it's Jimmy. I got here. Okay. Goodbye. That's right. If you remember that commercial. <laughs> so they wouldn't we have to accept a baby, the it's a boy. Remember that commercial? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's, yeah. that, that was funny because it was so true. Yeah. Yeah. But people, young people today, even my children, I, uh, on one of, you know, the phonic sheet that came home, it was an old school telephone. And my daughter said to me, what is that? And I said, that's a telephone. And, and I said, that's what telephones used to look like. And for her, she, she, she was surprised. She said, oh, okay. So what were the first phones? Like you may have heard things like switchboard operators or hello girls. So let's talk about the phones first. The first phones were marketed in pairs. The equipment was leased in pairs to someone, for example, one for the home and one for the office or for the store that they owned or worked in. These pairs of phones would have to be connected by a wire. Think of it almost as an intercom of sorts. With one invention, there needed to be additional inventions by other people. For example, How would one know that there was someone trying to communicate with you on the telephone? The addition of a bell that would ring to alert you was needed. Next, how do you get one telephone to ring as opposed to all of the phones connected to the line? Let's say in a town, another little house on the prairie reference. But anyone remember the episode of when Mrs. Olson got a telephone in the mercantile and handled the switchboard? which leads us to the next important invention in addition to the telephone, the Stroger switch. Interestingly enough, Stroger was an undertaker who felt he was losing business to another undertaker in town because his wife controlled the calls coming into town. Hence why I brought up Mrs. Olson. What? Someone died? How terrible. Let me connect you to my husband. So out of necessity- Brilliant. Right. So out of this necessity comes this invention with the stroger switch. You would tap out the digits of the number you were trying to reach. And this would operate a contact arm at the exchange, which could move into any one of a hundred different positions. It automated the telephone. Prior to this, it had to be done manually by an operator. You would tell them who you were, who you were trying to reach, and they would connect you. Phones or phone sets were assigned numbers and you would give that number to the switchboard operator, which was often a woman who got the nickname Hello Girl because the first thing they said was hello. Switchboard operators, when you contacted the switchboard operator, you would need to give the name of the city you were calling along with the number. Now, this lasted for a while. As the number of telephones increased, we see the need for area codes or regional dialing. Here's a fun fact for you, or at least I think it's a fun fact. More densely populated cities were given easier dial area, easier to dial area codes. For example, New York City and Manhattan is 212. LA, Los Angeles is 213. Want to call someone in Arizona? Sorry, you got to do 480. Good luck dialing that one on a rotary phone. It's not as easy. Cordless phones. Okay. I don't know if you guys remember this, but your phone was once upon a time attached to the wall. 
there was a wire. You know, my mother was notorious for stretching that wire out to the point where it needed to be replaced because she was trying to do a million things at once. Even the hand gesture that people use for the telephone is different today than when it was growing up. What was it when you were growing up? The hand gesture is this, right? Hold on. I can't see you. Call me. Yes. Yes. With a finger, your thumb by your ear and your pinky finger by your mouth. But today it's probably just like somebody holding a phone like this, right? By more like your cheek, like you're holding a smartphone. I don't know. know? I think it's still like, you know, call me. I don't know. I don't know. Text me. Have to see. Let us know. Let us know in the comments. It would be incredible to be able to take our smartphones today and bring them back in time to Alexander Graham Bell or Elijah Gray or Thomas Edison and show them what the inventions they created would eventually become. I do want to talk about Alexander Graham Bell a little bit more, though. Bell did not stop at the telephone. He also invented something called the photophone. He considered it his greatest invention. This allowed for the transmission of sound over a beam of light. This was wireless. Mirrors and lights would be used instead of wires and electricity. That technology eventually allowed for the creation of things like fiber optics and what allows information to be sent over what we call the internet. Over the course of his life, Alexander Graham Bell made a number of different inventions, the photophone, the spectrophone, but, ne- but neither of those caused the same impact as the telephone. News of an assassination attempt of U.S. President James Garfield, which we talked about in a prior podcast, and the difficulty that doctors were having in locating the bullet gave Alexander Graham Bell another idea. What if he could invent a machine that would locate the bullet and save the president's life? The instrument he invented used electric current to locate the bullet and a receiver that would be able to detect the sound of the electrical current hitting the bullet. He called it the induction balance bullet detector. Bell was unable to precisely determine the location of the bullet. And while it appeared that the president would still be able to survive, he did eventually succumb to his wounds. That wouldn't be the only potentially life-saving invention Bell would make. After the premature birth and death of his child, it inspired him to build a medical device that would help someone breathe. The vacuum jacket, as it was called, used a suction pump to force air in and out of the lungs. It is considered the precursor to the iron lung. As a mother of a child born prematurely, I can tell you firsthand how many incredible life-saving machines there are today for premature babies. I am profoundly grateful that these things exist because had my child been born decades earlier, I very well may have suffered the fame, the same fate as the Bells did. They lost two sons who were born prematurely. President Kennedy's son was born prematurely, almost what would be considered full term back in the 1960s, and they weren't able to save the life of the child of the president of the United States. So imagine how little there was out there in the early 1900s when Alexander Graham Bell invented that. Alexander Graham Bell once said, the day will come when the man speaking on the telephone will be able to see the person he is speaking with. That day has already come. Consider the impact that this one invention had on society. Consider what the devotion to work, to science, to progress can do if one has the strength and the courage to make their ideas a reality. Next time you pick up your phone to call somebody, 
Think of all the people it took to make that a reality and be grateful that you don't have to wait until 7 p.m. for free minutes. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.